0: I said, good morning, guys. Um, If you're new here or this is your first Sunday, welcome. We're right in the middle of our Advent series here. Um, On the church calendar, Advent is a four-week-long season that literally means the coming of or the arrival. Um, It's a season where we anticipate the coming of Christ. Each year, we look at sort of four pillars of the Advent season during those weeks, hope, peace, joy, and love. Last week, Lindsay shared about the hope that we have in the coming of Christ. And this week, I'm gonna talk about the anticipated peace we can rest in uh, this month. For me though, I don't know about you guys, but anticipation can be sort of a dangerous game. I've mentioned before that I can sometimes be so focused on the future or a task or how I want things to go that I have a difficult time living in the present. Um, but even if I'm not anticipating from an unhealthy place, we just really never know how the future's gonna go, right? We can anticipate something that's going to go really well. Like, I remember five and a half years ago, I anticipated my wedding day, and then it got here, and it was like the best wedding ever. It was better than I could ever uh, anticipate it. Um, So we can anticipate something that's gonna go good, but then we can also anticipate something and it not go as well as we planned. Um, To tell a quick story, when I was about nine or 10 years old, my uncle told me that he was gonna be taking me on a bike ride to this place called Skillet Springs, which you've probably never heard of because it's up in Walland where he and my dad grew up. Um, But he described it to me as this roughly like two mile bike ride He was like, oh, it's so easy. You're gonna love it. We're gonna go swim. You should bring your swimming trunks. Uh, Skillet Springs. So I quickly realized though on this journey that I am not prepared for it. He's got this mountain bike, this super nice thing. His legs are way longer than me because I'm 10. So he can like switch gears and switch his cadence that he's pedaling. I'm on um, a BMX bike with no gears, heavy as lead, with the seat like, you know, dragging the ground. And it's got pegs on it. I don't know why I had a BMX bike. I can't do anything on a bike. Um, but I don't care. I'm anticipating Skillet Springs. I'm like, oh, it's going to all be worth it when I can just throw my bike to the side of the trail and jump in this water. And then we get to this pause in the trail. Uh, or he stops and he's like, okay, we're here. And I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Where is it? And he points, and I'm like, surely it's just around the corner behind a tree. And he points to this little collection of rocks uh, with like a dribbling aquifer, I guess it's called, is the technical term for it, coming out of this rock bank into what has formed a little tiny skillet shaped spring in the ground. And I'm standing there in my swimming trunks, ready to swim. Um, But that's just my uncle, he is hilarious. And in that moment, cruel. Um, I should have known because he was wearing cargo pants that we weren't swimming. Um, But yeah, this is one of my first really strong memories of the bittersweet emotions that accompany anticipation. Um, Of all of those emotions I felt on that day, excitement, rage, frustration, exhaustion, peace, uh, it was never really on the list. In fact, in my life, I would say that peace and anticipation almost never go hand in hand. They sort of feel like opposites. Peace is being present in the current moment and uh, anticipation is looking forward. Um, I think we can uh, get a pretty good glimpse of this, this holiday season. They're great, but we can, we can look so forward to the plans and traditions that we're gonna make that we blink and November and December fly by and we discover we were halfway present through all of it. Uh, Anyone else feel that? (laughs) When I was writing this sermon, I came across this funny meme. Tracy and I send memes to each other, and I've got it on the screen, I think. Yeah, you you probably can't read that, but it says scientists can now transform stress into electricity, and below that is a picture of, I think, Thor, like channeling lightning, and it says people preparing for Christmas services. Uh, which I thought was funny because I work for a church. Uh, You can just replace that with people preparing for the holidays. Um, But yeah, I think that's us. I think this is a picture of my theory that peace and anticipation, uh, they don't always go hand in hand. But this sort of juxtaposition of peace and anticipation is right where we find Isaiah the prophet in chapter 40 as he communicates this message of hope, comfort, and peace to the people of Israel. To give a deeper understanding of the text that we read during the candle lighting, the word in Scripture "peace" uh, or "shalom" in the Hebrew Old Testament can mean the absence of conflict, like we think of so often today. But it also points to something better in the presence of it. To steal from the Bible Project, "shalom" is used to define something that is complete. Or whole. So, if you guys in your mind picture a stone wall that has no cracks in it or bricks missing, that wall would be in a state of shalom. Uh, it describes something that's complex and has a lot of pieces, but is complete. It can also bring, mean bringing restoration to something that is not whole or complete. So, for example, um, if a farmer would have had a cow back in the day, or today currently, and it got loose and it ruined a neighbor's crops, a neighboring crop, the farmer would be expected to pay the amount of money needed to completely restore the land, but and then also pay for the earnings that are lost from that crop to bring shalom. Um, this shalom was the promised balance that king after king was supposed to bring in the Old Testament, um, a peace that didn't just mean the absence of war, but true shalom, a sense of wholeness in all the moving parts and relationships between people. A peace that not only laid down the weapons of war, but picked up the tools to build things better than the way they were for the sake of those we once called enemies. But, uh, spoiler alert, in the Old Testament, if you read it, it never happened. Sometimes there was what seemed like shalom for a season or maybe even a few generations Uh, While other times the fall from grace happens like the very next verse after you've read about the rise of this king, um, Isaiah illustrates this issue with 39 chapters about the lack of peace in Jerusalem that lead us up to our text today. Um, And I think if we read the Old Testament and we can get past the judging people for ignoring warning after warning after warning, we can relate so deeply to their struggle to find true peace, shalom, because that's our story too, right? Um, Doesn't that feel familiar? We go through life with maybe these seasons defined by what feels like peace, and then there's some sort of crack that develops in the wall, or a brick goes missing, or you get in a fight with your neighbor or your friend or your family, um, and then we're back in the in-between of anticipating for the next season of peace to come. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier with the holidays, we can get so callous and jaded by this back and forth that we sometimes can't even be present in the peaceful season because in the back of our minds, we're just waiting for the discord or the shoe of turmoil to fall. Uh, And that's nothing new. In the text, in verses six and seven, it tells us why. We can find the answer in scripture. It says uh, that all people are like grass and flowers. And that they wither and fade away. So to me, that means that if people can wither and fade away like flowers, then the peace that we as people can make can wither and fade away uh, just like people do. Merry Christmas, by the way. Hey, I know we're getting, we're getting into it. Um, but like the Israelites, when we examine our lives, we're left in need of a true shalom. Shalom. Uh, a peace or a wholeness that we can't mess up because we didn't make it. So let's put a pin in the story right there before it gets too dark and depressing. Uh, for a quick biblical history rabbit hole, everyone's favorite rabbit hole, um, I promise I'm gonna go somewhere with this, so just stick with me. Isaiah is kind of tricky because the prophecy sort of talks about three different things in one. There's a lot of imagery and it's beautiful, but tricky, like Lindsay mentioned. So, If you look at the book of Isaiah as a whole, there is a major perspective shift in the 40th chapter that we're reading. The first 39, it kind of talks about this um, future hope and this future exile, but then in 40, it switches to the perspective of a speaker who has lived through the exile and come out on the other side with a message of hope. The weird thing about this though is that Isaiah didn't live through that. He died about 150 years before any of that would happen. So a lot of scholars, this is really cool to me, um, a lot of scholars believe that Isaiah, knowing that he wouldn't be around after the exile, um, took his letters and messages of hope and sealed them away and gave them to his sort of disciples to open after the exile ended. So this would explain the changing tone from the second half of the book, uh, to The chapters 40 through 66. And I think this is relevant because like Isaiah, who is speaking in his present circumstances of a future peace, we as believers, we, we're sort of required to think in a few different spaces a lot. Um, we call it the already and the not yet here. Uh, I guess it's one of my favorite things we talk about because I think I've brought it up in all of my, uh, all of my three sermons, you know. Um It's the acknowledging and having faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's the already. It already happened. And then the not yet piece is that Jesus will come again and restore all things and make all things new. Um, The prophet Isaiah would have called it the not yet and the not yet. That was a joke. You can laugh at that. Uh, If you didn't get that, I lost you on the rabbit hole. But with Isaiah's knowledge of his already and not yet, and with the knowledge of the conflict and the loss that is to come, he writes these words of hope and comfort that his followers would later open and receive as a gift. A promise that once Israel is cut down like a stump, a seed will sprout in its place. Um, a promise that those who have walked in darkness will see a great light and the nations will rejoice. A promise that after the kings of this world have all failed to bring the shalom and peace that you're looking for, a prince of shalom, a prince of peace, will be born. Um, a promise that just like for the people of Jerusalem, we can rest in today because it's true for us too. Um, one of my pet peeves with my wife, this is going to go well. Um. Uh, is that I'll be watching a movie and she'll come in halfway through and watch like 30 seconds of this movie and say, this looks dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm invested. Or even worse, some of you already know where I'm going with this. We'll start a movie that we're both watching for the first time together. And before the opening credits have even finished rolling, you know, there's the scene and then the opening credits or whatever. She's like, who's this? Who's that? Where are they? And I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. We're both watching it for the first time. Um, so sometimes it's kind of annoying or frustrating when we don't know the whole story, but uh, does that happen to you guys, I'm guessing? Yeah. Um, I love her. I really do. So yeah, sometimes that's annoying. Sometimes it's frustrating when we don't know the whole story, but fortunately in Scripture, we do know the whole story. Um, Isaiah's words in this passage of peace and comfort and hope, they take on sort of a triple meaning for us. A message of peace to Jerusalem in their current circumstances, a prophecy of hope in a future king, and a whisper of his return for us. Uh, We've been in the Old Testament this morning, and the Old Testament word that I've said at least 10 times now, shalom, is the Hebrew. But in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is Irene. And I butchered that pronunciation. Um, but Jesus' birth is announced as the arrival of Irene in the New Testament. Uh, if that's news to you, you probably actually did know that already and you didn't know that you knew it. Let's try this. God, or Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, Irene, and goodwill towards men uh, and women, too. <laughs> Uh, peace, shalom, arena, wholeness, completion of the story before it's even begun. The arrival of God's son in the form of a baby marks the arrival of a peace that is echoed throughout the Old Testament. This baby who would grow up to live the life we were meant to live, who would ultimately uh, offer it up and give it away for us on the cross. Jesus would come and live a life marked by a disruption of the perceived natural order of things to show us what actual order is meant to look like. In verses three through six, we see that in the, in the passage we read about how the earth bends and forms to the sound of his voice. But earlier in Isaiah, in chapter 11, there's this beautiful imagery that I want to read. It's verses six through nine. I have it. Um, It says, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Jesus's arrival offers us a glimpse of true peace that's almost, we can't even comprehend it. These animals that would never get along in the real world, sitting side by side. The manger is a, is a symbol of that, a little glimpse. Um, But even if we can't comprehend it, something happens when we rest in the promise of what is to come. We start to get a glimpse of it here and now, in the already and the not yet. When we lean into God's character, we find comfort in ways the world could never comfort us. When we work to restore the lives of our friends and neighbors, we share in the arena that Jesus gives to his followers, followers. When we stop trying to make peace on our own accord and trust in Him, we find the wholeness that can't be messed up because we didn't make it. Um, If you study Scripture long enough, you'll find that the biblical hope, this is going to sound almost sacrilegious for a second, so stick with me. You'll find that the biblical hope for us is not to get to heaven The biblical hope has and always has been that one day Isaiah's promise and prophecy will be fulfilled, that heaven will come to earth and it will be filled with people who know the Lord like the waters fill the sea. And that hope all starts with a birth in a manger in Bethlehem. Uh, Jesus' birth isn't just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of something better in its place. So, we're going to do something we do every week. We're going to pause for a moment uh, in this time that we call Selah, which literally means sacred pause. We're busting out all the Hebrew and Greek words today. Um, as we do this, there'll be some verses on the screen from one of the Psalms, but I just want us to maybe reflect on a couple of questions while we do that. Um, the first question is, where in our lives are we trying to make or manufacture our own peace? Um, And then as you think about that, how's that going for you? That's a hard question. Um, And then maybe allow yourself to think, what would it look like to seek the peace Jesus gives in this situation where I'm trying to create it on my own? Um, I'll pray for us and then we'll reflect for a few moments. Uh, God, thank you for this season of Advent where we get to just think about who you are and the promises that you kept with your birth and your life and your death and resurrection. Um, I pray that, that as we re- reflect on that today that, that we would know that you are the source of true peace um, and that with you peace isn't just a shallow definition where we're not fighting, there's not turmoil. It's, it points to something so much better in its place, heaven on earth. Um, So yeah, just be with us as we reflect on that and be patient with us as we forget it. It's in your name I pray, amen.